Hello everyone, welcome back to the virtual pub for Berries part two. Uh, if you listen to part one, you'll know we left you somewhere in Berlin. Hope you've had a nice time there for two weeks. Uh, so let's go back there to the conclusion of that story and more Berry Berry uh, goodness. Oh, show me the way to go home. I'm tired and I want to go to bed. I had a little drink about an hour ago and it's gone right to my head. Wherever I may roam, on land or sea or foam, you can always hear me sing this song. Show me the way to go home. <laughs> um, so we, uh, we had a few drinks in various bars in Berlin. There was this one uh, place we went to called Betty's, um, who uh, served Betty shots for a couple of euros. Mm. And we were like, let's have Betty shots. For some reason, we found the term very funny. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yep. And uh, But essentially, it was just strawberry daiquiri. Um, they had a bottle of pre-made strawberry daiquiris, but uh, we, we kept doing Betty shots. Um, we've covered daiquiris before, but I thought I'd mention it because it probably is the most um, common form to drink a strawberry alcoholic drink in. Um, mm -hmm. it, it comes from Cuba. It's named after a mining region and beach. It was possibly invented by an American mining engineer and then popularised through the military or the navy. Um, it almost certainly crosses over with local consumption, though, as well as the tradition of sailor's grog because it is essentially mm -hmm. a kind of rum punch. But in this form, it's really just like, you know, rum and sugar and blitzed up strawberries. Uh, but I thought I'd better mention that one. The, the, before I go on to um, some stuff about strawberries, uh, what I just remembered is that we drank the bar dry of Betty shots. <laughs> there were no more <laughs> Betty shots to be had. And so, and so when someone <laughs> demanded more, more shots, um, I was like, I might introduce Craig Davids to Berlin. <laughs> Oh God! So oh. I said, "Are you are you familiar with Craig Davids?" Um, the the German man was puzzled. Um, so I said, "Oh, it's just a shot of tequila and pineapple juice." And obviously, I hadn't been clear enough with my vocabulary. Um, and what he gave us was a shot of pineapple and an entire glass, like a big tumbler of pineapple juice <laughs> <laughs> by the side. <laughs> I was like. Come on, everyone, shoot it. <laughs> <laughs> then I tried to introduce it. They are still unfamiliar with the concept. <laughs> oh, <bless> them. <laughs> uh, I'm not sure what the uh, German equivalent of Craig David is. I'm going to have to look into that. I think David Hasselhoff, surely. Yeah, if I'd have... Um, uh, do you know, I bet they've got a drink there called David Hasselhoff. I did go to the David Hasselhoff Museum. Uh, oh, which, so proud of you. as it turned out, was a corridor in the basement of a hostel. Um, <laughs> it, it was on Google Maps. It's the David Hasselhoff Museum. Then you go there and you're like, "Where is it?" And it is—it's literally around the corner from the toilets. It's just one corridor with a few like weird David Hasselhoff memorabilia there. But there's a picture <laughs> of him, sort of like on the wall, and. His autograph is on it, and there's um, perspex put over it to protect it, which means he must have been there. He must have been there to sign his autograph on this wall. God. But can you imagine, like, being invited to a museum all about you, and you're like, <laughs> I am museum. so honoured, and they're like, it's downstairs, just left at the toilets, it's that corridor there. Could you sign your name, please? <laughs> <laughs> God. 
Oh, anyway, uh, Berlin's great. I have lots of stories, most of which I cannot tell you. Um, <laughs> strawberries. Uh, <laughs> just a couple of things on them before I move on. Uh, people have likely eaten wild strawberries for millennia, but cultivation officially began in the 1300s in Europe. Uh, people in France first transplanted the wild strawberry into the garden. Uh, in the 1600s, colonists discovered and shipped it to Europe. And through, um, though this species was tasty, it wasn't popular until the end of the 1700s and early 1800s in England. At the same time, a French spy discovered the Chilean strawberry and brought it to France in 1714. That species was much larger than the uh, previous strawberries, but it was not as uh, resilient. It was difficult to grow away from the Chilean coastal climate. And so cultivators crossed the, the original Virginia strawberry with the Chilean strawberry. Um, and then that kind of led to magic, tasty, resilient strawberries. Um, it remained in favour until 1909 when the variety um, E.C. Howard, the variety E.C. Howard of Massachusetts I've got in my notes. I don't know if it's... Yes, okay. What it's meant to say is Howard 17 was the variety he called it. It was E.C. Howard of Massachusetts discovered a variety which he called Howard 17. Um, and that had a tolerance to diseases and other leaf spots and all sorts of things. So it ended up replacing the Virginia Chilean cross. So yes, lots of different species of uh, strawberry, but that's the one we mostly use now, which kind of reminded me a bit of the um, grape stocks we were talking about with the um, with the episode about uh, in Poison, when we talked about the vines that went over to Chile and yeah. found resistance. There seems to be a lot of kind of disease control between the Americas and Europe in terms of what crops are going to stay hardy. Mm. There you go, strawberry included. Um, just a little bit on Scandi liqueurs while we're talking about various European adventures, because you mentioned lingonberry being tasty. Mm -hmm. um, lingonberry, by the way, supposedly the favourite uh, berries of bears, of grizzly bears and polar bears in the <laughs> Arctic regions. So much so that it's also called bearberry. Um, <laughs> But I've got some other fun name, alternative names for lingonberry, which are used. Red wattleberry, cougarberry, beaverberry, and lowbush cranberry. <laughs> Thought you'd enjoy those. Um, <clears throat> cloudberry uh, kind of goes in partnership with that. You find a lot in the Scandi liqueurs. Cloudberry there known as Hjortran liquor. Um, and that, again, is a wild fruit found in the Northern Hemisphere. It's quite difficult to cultivate. Uh, it grows in the wild, but it can be quite expensive um, to, to uh, gather. It is enjoyed by the Sami people, who are the indigenous people of the Arctic uh, for centuries. But it was really only produced as a commercial liqueur from about the 20th century onwards. Again, started as being medicinal. They added herbs. Seems like if you add herbs to any berry liqueur, it's classed as um, medicinal. Uh, <laughs> so now it's mostly used for special occasions and toasting. It's one of those sorts of things. What it's not really intended for is um, sticking into a plastic pouch and sneaking into the Eurovision village uh, so you can... Mm enjoy it with your what friends. What kind of heathens would do that? What kind of heathens. Any special memories of uh, Scandinavian liqueurs for you? <clears throat> uh, 
Um, I had some very tasty ones in Iceland. Uh, cannot remember any of the names of them. Was very, very drunk. <laughs> That's about it. That and the Eurovision Village. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In fact, I think Cloudberry Liqueur was our first punishment drink for the quiz episode we did uh, this year when we were at Eurovision, when we did escalating escalating intensities of um, of shots for getting a question wrong. I believe the first of which one was I drank berry, all. Of which you drank <laughs> of which you drank all of them. And I think I only had the cloudberry. So <laughs> uh back to you. Mm, I'd like to talk about elderberries. Um let me get my notes up, sorry. <laughs> elderberries. Um elderberries are tart berries that come from several varieties of the Sambucus tree. Don't get excited, they don't make sambuca. Uh, <laughs> these berries are considered a superfood due to their high level of beneficial nutrients. I wish they did make sambuca so we could say that sambuca is a superfood. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yes, low in calories but rich in nutrients, elderberries are full of antioxidants and are also a great source of flavanols. They also contain anthocyanins, which help reduce inflammation. Uh, some studies have shown that elderberries can boost immunity to decrease the length and severity of cold and flu symptoms. So very popular to be drunk this time of year or taken. Uh, they contain several minerals as well as dietary fibre, fat and proteins. So yes, a super, super duper food. Uh, they're often used in jams, tinctures, syrups, and also tea, which is what I'd like to talk to you about. Elderberry tea. It has a long history going back to ancient times. It was used by the ancient Egyptians and Native Americans to treat a, a variety of illnesses. Um, they've long been used as a diuretic and to help with other digestive issues. But be careful. Um, the digestive effects of unripened or uncooked elderberry are quite unpleasant. Uh, so it's best to avoid the DIY approach if you forage your own. Um, it's better to buy elderberry tea from a reliable source than brew it yourself. Uh, the bark of the elderberry tree, along with the berries that aren't completely ripe, can really, really upset your stomach. Um, the plant also contains cyanogenic gliosides. gliosides. <laughs> oh yeah, that, that old chestnut. Yeah, those, yeah. yeah. Uh, basically, they can release harmful substances like cyanide mm -hmm. when the berries are not sourced. Um, uh, sourced and prepared in the right manner. So, so yeah, don't don't wing it. Just go and buy it from like Holland and Marat or something. <laughs> um, yeah, if you like a fruity tea that's caffeine-free and you want to try and ward off the nasties and germs, elderberry is your, your best choice. Okay, witch um, doctor. <laughs> Do you know what? I used to I used to eat them a lot as a kid. Um, there were lots of elderberry bushes growing around where I um, where I grew up and particularly where I went to school. And on my way home mm. from school, I just used to grab loads of elderberries and eat them on the way home. Mm. Never did me any harm. <laughs> Beg to differ. <clears throat> um, although it's not a berry, and it, it's just one of those things I feel like while we're here, we might as well talk about elderflowers as well. Sure. Um, so, elderflower cordial, obviously super duper popular, mm -hmm. made from uh, largely refined sugar and a water solution, and of course, elderflowers. 
historically, the cordial was popular in northwestern Europe where it has a Victorian, Victorian heritage. However, versions of an elderflower cordial recipe have been traced back to Roman times. Have you ever made elderflower tonics or cordials? No, I haven't no? actually. No, <clears throat> but I do like it a lot. It's delicious. Um, but I feel like, quite nicely, when I was digging through all of this information, I came full circle. Um, so have you heard of a drink called Saint-Germain? Mm-hmm. Mm. So Saint-Germain is an elderflower-based liqueur, the first of its kind, actually, that was launched. Um, but it's created by a guy called Robert Cooper, who is the son of Norton Cooper that brought us Chambord. Ah, makes yeah. sense. Family business. Yeah, so, well, the thing is, he didn't actually do it through the same company. So he'd been at that company for a very, very, very long time. Mm -hmm. um, and he was in a bar in London in 2001 after work and was looking for a drink. And they served him an, an elderflower-based cocktail. So... It wasn't so much just syrups and stuff. They'd actually, they, they had the flowers in it and it was a, a real kind of like celebration of elderflowers in this drink and it just got him thinking. He was like, oh, there's actually quite a lot you can do with elderflowers. Um, so he started looking into it and created this Saint-Germain brand. Um, the brand's named after the Parisian cultural district of Saint-Germain-des-Prés. And the bottle shape itself is influenced by the Art Deco motifs associated with the Belle Epoque history of that area. <clears throat> um, so, yeah, he broke away um, from his brother's company when it was bought uh, by Bacardi in 2013. He's agreed to work with Bacardi as the brand guardian and spokesperson for Saint-Germain. Um, they do lots and lots of kind of highbrow marketing campaigns. Um, I think they have really kind of gone in hard on the kind of exclusivity of the elderflowers and how it's, you know, a small window of time that they can harvest them. And they quite proudly say on the website that a thousand petals of elderflowers go into every bottle and they're hand-picked during this small window and it's a race against time. Um, so they, yeah... A lot of arty fartiness about their marketing campaigns. Uh, would you like to hear some Blackberry stuff? I'd love to hear some Blackberry stuff. I think the main Blackberry thing is the cocktail, the Bramble. Um, mm. And this was created in London in 1984 by Dick Bradsell. And he worked in a bar in Soho called Fred's Club and wanted to create a very British cocktail. Um, so it's Gin, dry gin, lemon juice, sugar syrup, and uh, blackberry liqueur or creme de mure, as uh, I said earlier, the French version, and crushed ice. Uh, and then finished off maybe with some fruits on top, maybe a slice of lemon. I was surprised <laughs> that it was that late, actually. The, I thought the bramble, I think, is quite a well-known cocktail, and I didn't know um, it didn't have an older history. But yeah, it was created uh, with his with Dick Brattle's memories of going blackberrying in his childhood on the Isle of Wight. Uh, that was supposedly the inspiration. Uh, so there is forensic evidence that says we have been eating blackberries for thousands of years, particularly in Britain. We love it. Um, eaten straight from the plants, baked into cakes, etc, etc. 
It's a member of the rose family, like strawberries actually. Um, and the blackberry is supposedly is not a berry at all in the botanical sense. It's an aggregate accessory fruit. <laughs> we all love an accessory <laughs> that fruit. That sounds really harsh. Are you such an accessory? Yeah. <laughs> and that just means that the flesh isn't derived from the ovaries of the plant, but from the receptacle that holds them. There you go. The tradition of blackberrying is um, when you go through all the hedgerows in summer, taking advantage of um, how much it's grown. It's still very popular in Britain to do that. Um, during World War One, it was considered a necessity because of food rationing. So there were schemes um, established to make the most of them uh, by letting English children have time off school to go and pick blackberries for the production of juice and jam that were then sent to soldiers fighting on the front line. Um, did you I presume you've been blackberrying? I have. Oh my god, yes. I, I still do. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> there's so many around where I live, literally on my street. Yeah, mm -hmm. there's so many around. So yeah. I think this is one of the best things about blackberries is they're everywhere and they grow really well. So you never feel guilty about foraging them like you might do some other things. <laughs> <laughs> um, they are also synonymous with Michaelmas. Michaelmas is when uh, in Christianity, when the Archangel Michael defeated the angel Lucifer in battle, banishing him from heaven. And there's a story that says Lucifer landed in hell um, end first in a thorny blackberry bush. And in his fury, he spat on the bush and cursed its fruit. Um, and that gives rise to this law that blackberries are unfit to eat if picked after Old Michaelmas Day, which is the 10th or 11th of October. God, that's so late. whether you believe that or not, um, there is... Um, some wisdom perhaps in leaving blackberries alone after the summer is done because it's more likely that they've succumbed to mould um, such as Botryotinia which can affect the fruit so yeah as you say that's quite late uh, it's quite late because yeah. that's the point for it but uh, yeah they, in general all the, all the birds have finished them by then yeah usually <laughs> they have I think what it's saying is if there are any blackberries lying around uh, still in October maybe just leave them be um, also in Celtic folklore, an arch of bramble, uh, which has rooted at both ends, was believed, believed to have special powers from invoking evil spirits to curing a child's whooping cough. Um, these days it is known to kind of help with coughs and colds and sore throats, just thanks to vitamin C um, and it's anti-inflammatory, etc, etc. Uh, one of my personal favourites for blackberry is blackberry vinegar. I think we mentioned mm, yes. this before in the sour episode, but putting fruit in vinegar for a few days um, is a delicious thing to do. Mm -hmm. You got one more for me? I have. The Cranberries. Not the band. Zombie. <laughs> I did think, how can I how can I tie in a zombie with the Cranberries? Oh, I didn't bother. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just Halloween. We've just done our Halloween episode. This is true. Um... Yeah, I mean, what what do you think of when you think of cranberry-based drinks? I think of helping urinary issues, <laughs> urinary <laughs> tract infections, things like yeah, that. Of course. Um, well, I might talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, only in confidence if you feel comfortable. But I, one thing I wanted to look at more was just, I was just thinking about how, like, when I was in uni... It was like vodka cranberry juice was like a massive thing. 
Like, how did it become such a thing to have, like, a whole glass of this juice with your spirit, rather than it just being, like, an addition to cocktails and stuff? Like, how did it become such a, a, a thing? Like, vodka cranberry, how? So I was just interested in that, and I looked into the history of cranberry juice, really, uh-huh. in drinks. Um, so let's go way back to the start. Um, so cranberries, they are one of just a few fruits that are native to North America, um, they were a wild diet staple of Native Americans for centuries. Um, they became cultivated around 1816. And it was around then that they were seriously marketed to urban populations. Uh, Cranberry Cooperative spent $5,000 on advertising in 1918 uh, and increased sales of over $1 million, which is crazy at the time, 1918. Uh, These early 20th century cranberries were sold either canned or fresh, uh, though the market remained largely seasonal. Uh, In 1930, Ocean Spray put uh, a cranberry juice drink on the market, Uh, though it is worth noting that cranberry juice had been made by pilgrim settlers as early as 1683, so it's not like Ocean Ocean Spray were the first to to think of it. Uh, Concerns of the ensuing prohibition era affected the cranberry industry. Uh, Because the products revolved around seasonal family holidays like Thanksgiving and Christmas, the industry consciously chose not to associate themselves with alcohol because it could have potentially alienated their largest customer base. Uh, But in 1945, they did decide to test the waters. Um, Ocean Spray began to play with a cocktail called the Red Devil, which was vodka and cranberry juice. Uh, In 1955, the cranberry industry released a pamphlet for the Toll House cocktail, which had an optional addition for rum. Uh, Unfortunately, in 1959, the cranberry market collapsed. Um, It was when the US Department of Health announced that amniotriazole, a dangerous herbicide, had tainted the cranberry crop. So it's like uh, the blackcurrant. Just banning all all the berries. Um, so producers started to like bolster their businesses through diversifying cranberry products to try and expand the industry market. Um, Ocean Spray released a cranberry apple blend, um, and again, most likely spurred, spurred by the 1959 crash, they also partnered with Tropico and released a bottled drink called Sea Breeze, made of Ocean Spray cranberry juice and Don Cossack vodka. In 1965, they advertised for the Cape Codder, their version being cranberry juice and vodka, whereas earlier 1940s versions asked for cranberry juice and rum. Uh, Demand for cranberry juice rose again in the 1980s, correlating with reports about the health benefits of the fruit. I will come back to it, I promise. (laughs) No, you can't wait. Cranberry juice versus cranberry cranberry cocktail juice. Do you know the difference? Were you aware there was a difference? No. I was not aware at all that there was a difference, but there is a distinct difference between the two. So cranberry juice, um, it's bitter, it's intense. It is just, as it says, it's 100% cranberry juice. It's juiced cranberries. Um... However, you've got cranberry juice cocktail, which is a sweet and fruity variant. Um, the, the phrase cranberry juice is frequently used to reference cranberry juice cocktail, which confuses people. 
Um, so more often than not, when you see actual cranberry juice now, it is labelled as 100% cranberry juice to distinguish from the juice cocktail. But essentially, the cranberry juice cocktail was created in order to kind of top up this demand for the sweeter cranberry juice that's added to drinks and cocktails. So that market kind of demanded that. But it's still confusing because cocktail recipes still tend to just call for cranberry juice where in, in fact they, they, it's cranberry juice cocktail and more often than not when you when you order a cranberry juice at the bar when it's like a vodka and cranberry juice it'll be the cranberry juice cocktail which is full of sugar and extra additives i think in this country we just call it cranberry juice drink cranberry juice so, drink yeah so if you were to buy cocktail. like a carton from the supermarket it'd be called cranberry mm -hmm. juice drink that's because they've yeah. added water and sugar i think that's mm -hmm. what we call it here Everybody's drank. Mm -hmm. um, so some of the kind of early on popular cranberry cocktails. Uh, the Cape Codder, is, as I mentioned earlier, Cape Codder was vodka and cranberry juice. Uh, Ocean Spray created the cocktail to promote cranberry juice circa 1945 um, called originally the Red Devil. There was one called the Madras, which was vodka, cranberry juice and orange juice. The Harpoon was vodka, cranberry juice and lime juice. The Rangoon Ruby, a high bowl of vodka, cranberry juice, soda and a lime slice. So there are still pretty much these cocktails on the market, but they've evolved and they, they, they're named different things. And But they all kind of date back to very, very early, early kind of 1940s. Uh, cranberry juice in the 1990s. Um, so the cranberry juice cocktail, or the cranberry juice drink as we call it, uh, was really embraced as a bar staple in the 90s. It became one of the juices that you could ask for in pretty much any restaurant or bar uh, due to its long-term shelf life and ease of storage. Didn't even need to be refrigerated. Um, the popularity of the Cosmopolitan epitomises that. We've talked about the Cosmopolitan before, so shan't go into it. Um, however, there's been a bit of backlash in the 21st century um, against cranberry juice cocktail or cranberry juice drink. Uh, ironically, people choose not to stock bars with it these days for the same reason that it was popular in the 90s. Uh, and that's that it practically doesn't go bad. It, it, it never runs out. Um, so bartenders now tend to go down this more farm to table kind of or farm to fork or whatever they call it, where they move away from pre-packaged products. They like to have fresh new ingredients, fresh squeezed ju juices, garnishes and produce that's locally sourced. Um, so it's a, a shift away from like using simple syrup and stuff as a staple sweetener. They just prefer natural, fresh, local products. Um, cranberry juice drink is an ultra-pasteurised ultra sugary product with only a small amount of actual cranberry juice in it. So they're tending to abandon it for fresher flavours. Uh, chain restaurants and dive bars still carry the juice because of its easy storage, recognisability and the fact that it doesn't go off. <laughs> um, let's talk about vaginas and cranberry juice. I was thinking it was about time. <laughs> I mean, we've we've um, got a long way into this episode without talking about vaginas. Exactly. So, <clears throat> there are benefits of cranberry juice for women's health in particular that are often talked about. So, I will do some myth-busting, if you would like. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so your general sexual health. There are some sources that claim that drinking cranberry juice may improve sexual experiences by enhancing the flavour of vaginal secretions. Um, whilst one study does list diet as one of the several factors that can influence the vagina's microbiome, there is no scientific evidence that supports the claim that cranberry juice cause, can make it taste nice. Sorry. I mean, don't apologise to me. <laughs> um, speak to your husband about that one. <laughs> postmenopausal health. Um, I don't want to talk about much about this one because it wasn't very nice. There are some animal studies that indicate the cranberry juice may support post-menopausal health. Um, but yeah, it's all just nasty stuff that they've done to animals and they've not done any tests on humans, so no, thank you. <laughs> um, more claims may help ease PMS symptoms and prevent osteoporosis. Um, long story short, cranberry juice is a good source of magnesium and magnesium can help all of these things. Um we're on to the final bit, and it's a good bit. Does cranberry juice prevent UTIs? <laughs> this is what I've been waiting for. This is what we've been waiting for. So, they have long been popular, uh, a remedy for treating, preventing uh, UTIs. There's a long word I'm about to say. Proanthiocyanidins. I think I said that right. Uh, basically, it's a type of tannin that's found in cranberries, and they inhibit bacteria like E. coli from adhering to the wall of your urinary tract. Uh, this might help stop bacteria from increasing in number and causing infection. So evidence about cranberries and UTI, UTI prevention is mixed, but studies do tend to suggest a moderate correlation between cranberries or cranberry juice and UTI prevention. However, there isn't any evidence. And if you do think you've got an UTI, just go to the doctor. <laughs> yeah, like there are better ways to treat it. Exactly. <laughs> than trying and to also, shove cranberries up there. And I, I, presume said, that, I presume that's how, what people were doing. Just thumbing them in, just th- yeah. Thumbing them in, yeah. <laughs> but if you are, you know, keen on the antioxidants and health benefits of cranberries, just make sure you're buying the 100% juice and not the uh, juice drink because then you're just going to be glugging cups of sugar, basically. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Um, on a similar note, cherry. <laughs> <laughs> I almost said the phrase and then I was like, no, it's a horrible phrase. I'm not going to say it. <laughs> um, cherries. Do you want to hear some stuff about cherries? You thumb in the min. I'm not going to thumb it in. Okay. Uh, would you like to rent a cherry tree? Um... Do I have to maintain it? No, or can I just look that's at it? the great yeah, thing okay, about sure. it. Yeah. So, yes, please. When I was looking at uh, delicious cherry liqueurs, etc., I found this orchard in Kent uh, where you can pay £55 a year to essentially kind of adopt a cherry tree in their orchard. They look after it and then you come and gather your cherries when they're uh, in fruit. I think that's cute. I mean, I'm not going to do it, but if I lived locally, I would, because I think that's fun. Um, Yeah, this uh, this place is called it's called (laughs) rentacherrytree.co.uk. So that's very easy to find them to come up with that URL in the area. Yeah, but I mean, imagine kind of thinking, I wonder if that exists, and then it does jackpot. (laughs) Um, But yeah, they also produce uh, cherry liqueur and vodka and brandy which all look delicious. 
Cherry brandy, I think, is, is the most popular alcoholic version of the cherry drink. Confusingly, though, it's not necessarily brandy. Most cherry brandies you find are actually just macerated cherries in, in vodka or neutral spirit. So very much like the eau de vie of the raspberry I'm having. But for some reason, when it's cherry, we call it brandy, even though it's not brandy. Um, <laughs> but I think it's usually because it's also spiced with uh, cinnamon and cloves. Some cherry brandies do use brandy, um, like this one does, in fact. Um, and they also crush the kernels, the cherry kernels, because they give that additional almond flavour that you often get with, uh, with cherry liqueurs. It's important if you do that, that you use a copper still and not a stainless steel still, because it makes it smoother, it removes the sulfates, and also, crucially, removes the cyanide <laughs> that comes out <laughs> of the kernels. Um, one proper cherry brandy that's actually brandy and crushes the kernels and gives that lovely almond uh, flavour with it is a Dutch one I've had called uh, De Kuiper. And they've uh, been in business as a distillery since 1695. So if you're over in the Netherlands, definitely recommend having a cherry brandy from them. Uh, Kirschwasser is a clear colourless brandy traditionally made from the double distillation of Morello cherries, mm -hmm. uh, which are a dark version of the sour cherry. Uh, it is also now made from other sorts of cherries as well, well but that's the traditional one. They're fermented completely, including the stones. Um, Unlike the liqueurs, it's not sweet, uh, and it's traditionally used in Black Forest Gatto, which is where Morellos originate from Germany's Black Forest. But, and I think a lot of people know that, but I don't know how many people know it's also an ingredient in traditional Swiss fondue. Oh, I so, did not know that. Yes, if you're making a traditional cheese fondue, put a glug of Kirschwasser in it as well. And I'm, this this whole episode's made me feel quite festive. Yeah, I know. I was just thinking, mm. I'm going to try that uh, this mm. this Christmas when I make a nice sort of cheesy dip thing. I'm going to put a I'm going to get some of this and put a glug in and see what happens. Because it sounds great. Mm. Um, there are, I think, infinitely more cherry flavored foods uh, on the market than there are foods that contain real cherries. Um, and have you noticed that none of those cherry flavored uh, sweets, for example, actually taste like fresh cherries. Nah, they don't. They've got that hint of almond in it and they don't taste like the fresh cherries. The reason is, apparently, that the, I mean, it is chemical, you know, they use, like everything they do to make things fruit flavoured, they use a combination of chemicals to replicate it artificially using various acetates and benzoates, etc. But it's because these flavours were first developed in the late 19th century and they were intentionally trying to copy the flavour of cherry liqueurs mm -hmm. or like maraschino cherry rather than the fresh fruit. So it's not just that they couldn't get it right, it's that they're actually replicating the liqueur flavour rather than the fresh cherry flavour. Mm -hmm. So that's why you get that, that sort of bitter almond um, flavour along with it because that's what they would have done. Um, where else can you think that cherries are a very kind of classic image? 
uh, in casinos. Yes. <gasps> I can't believe I asked you a question and you got it right the first time. Like, what was I thinking of and you didn't go wild? I nearly panicked and said Mesopotamia. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I was waiting for it. Um, so cherries are like the big prize on slot machines uh, in casinos. Have you ever wondered why? Do you know why? Is it something to do with how... Um, you know, like in Victorian banquets, they'd always have like a pineapple on the table to show wealth. Is it that? No, it's not. Um, I will tell you. So slot machines were first invented in the early 1900s, uh, but they were quite quickly banned. Um, mm -hmm. There were laws on cash paying slot machines. So they weren't allowed to pay out in cash and they repurposed them so that instead they um, turned them into chewing gum dispensers. And numbers were replaced with fruit symbols. When you got three in a row, you won a piece of gum. So they were still gambling, but the prize was gum instead of um, instead of money. And cherry flavored treats were the most popular. They had recently been developed off the uh, cherry <laughs> liqueurs. So three cherries became the biggest prize. It meant you got the cherry flavored gum. That's why. Oh, that is a great fact. Isn't it? It's mm. almost like that one might come up in a future quiz. <laughs> <laughs> I'll try um, and remember. <laughs> yeah, remember it now. Remember it so hard. <laughs> You're still going to answer Mesopotamia. Um, in, in ancient Greek mythology, cherry trees contained the elixir that gave gods their immortality. In ancient Chinese lore, the magical phoenix slept on a bed of cherry blossom to attain everlasting life. In Buddhism, cherries represented fertility and femininity, since the mother of Buddha was said to be supported by a, a holy cherry tree as she gave birth. Um, so they've got a lot of kind of holy, sacred history in many cultures, cherries, um, because the blossom's so pretty and they're so tasty, I think. Yep. At least three cherry trees thriving in Japan today are estimated to be more than a thousand years old. And the oldest is on the grounds of uh, Jisoji Temple in uh, the uh, the city of Hokuto in central Japan. And that is thought to be about 2,000 years old. It's just over 30 feet tall and about the same circumference. <laughs> wow. Old, old cherry trees. Mm. Um, I think I've got one more thing before I call it uh, a day. Have you got anything else you wanted to add? No, I haven't, but I feel like this is way too wholesome an end of our podcast. Can you I've got bring that. the level it's... down? No? No, it's not particularly dirty, but I, what I will end <laughs> is the greatest berry of them all. Mary Berry. Mary Berry, yes! <laughs> <laughs> so she's got, um, she's got a cocktail called an MB Zinger. Mary mm -hmm. Berry Zinger. Mm -hmm. And it's uh, one lime... Mint leaves, bitter lemon, cranberry juice, and two tablespoons of brandy. Nice. That all sounds good. It so, does sound good. Another good Christmassy drink, I think. Between the brandy and the cranberry, it sounds like a good Christmas cocktail. The Mary Berry Zinger. Um, I did actually delve into a bit of Mary Berry in my research. I thought it's tenuous, but I'll look. Um, and I, I was also interested to find that she has... A range of wine glasses to her name as well. Mary Berry Ooh. branded wine glasses. <laughs> Very nice. Another good put your zinger in it. Christmas treats. <laughs> I've got a I've got a question then. If you've done some research, maybe you'll have come across this. Let let's find out as a closer. Mm. So 
leading up to this question, according to Sue Perkins, <laughs> she loves tequila. <laughs> yes. Paul Hollywood says they always went for a drink after filming Bake Off. Mary always freezes leftover wine to use in her gravy. Mm -hmm. But there's one thing she said she would never partake in. Do you know what it is? Is it a Jager bomb? Nope. No? It's the opposite. Dry January. <laughs> oh, God, Mary geez. Berry said she woman. would never do dry January. <laughs> <laughs> absolute legend love her i actually know somebody who's worked with her and they 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 were very polite in how they delivered it but they said yeah she she likes a glass of wine <laughs> that's why that's everyone who's worked with her says she can drink you under the table <laughs> all right so our glasses have run dry which means it's time to apologize if you've found any of this content offensive for which we are very very sorry Oh, that was a week. Cheers, every that joke was offensive. <laughs> Cheers, everybody. <laughs> sorry, everyone. <laughs> very, very sorry. Wherever I may roam, or land or sea or fall, you can always hear me sing in this song. Show me the way to go home.